Welcome to the S2 Cognition Podcast. S2 is the official cognitive evaluation in sports, from youth to pro, where athletes and coaches build to win. Welcome to the S2 Cognition Podcast. I'm your host, Harrison Hunter, and today we're joined by Carolina Hurricanes player development coach and former NHL player, Peter Harold. Peter has firsthand experience of what it's like to play in one of the most dynamic sports. He's moving at top speed while handling a stick and dodging other human bogeys that are hunting him down. He details how current hockey players are more skilled than ever, skating at top end speed faster than ever before, and in his words, the game is faster than it's ever been, which is why understanding the cognition and hardwiring of a player's brain and how he processes information is so vital. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. That interview is next here on the S2 Cognition Podcast. Peter, man, thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciative of you coming on and having you on to talk hockey, cognition, what you see in the NHL. First, I want to start you know, you were an, an undrafted athlete into the NHL, and then you turn around and have a very successful 10-year career in the league. We mention this all the time on the podcast, but success is so multifactorial. What aspects of your game did scouts, coaches, or the evaluation process, what did they miss? And what were they able to, or what were you able to prove that you had the entire time? Thanks for having me on, first of all. Uh, it's always a pleasure to chat with you guys. Um, yeah, as far as your last question goes, I, I think uh, I was always pretty good at reading the game, but I came, I don't know how much they actually missed, in all honesty. Uh, I didn't really stand out when I played as it is anyways. I play kind of a quiet game, um, and I wasn't overly big or physically imposing or really in great physical shape uh, <laughs> when I was a senior in high school. Uh, it took me some time in college to uh, to kind of get my body, my physical uh, state where I needed it to be to be successful at that level. And then even when you turn pro, you, you realize there's a whole nother level to go. So that, that, that part of my game was never really uh, something that made me stand out. But what I was good at was reading the game and make, maybe my anticipation, I we use the term hockey vision or ice vision, uh, that kind of stuff. But those are the things that are what allowed me to uh, honestly survive once I got there because I was never really, um, I wasn't like a middle pair D or anything like that, but I, I was able to have some success and I was adaptive as well. Like they asked me to play forward when I got there and I never played forward before. So I was like, yep, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess we'll do what you ask kind of thing. But it actually helped me out a lot. Um, you get to see the game from a different perspective. I have a greater, pre, uh, greater appreciation for what they do on the front end. And it also probably made me more valuable because now I've got one there. I'm one guy taking up two roster spots, which saves them whatever another contract is. So uh, I think for me, it wasn't that so much that they missed much, but it was that it just took me longer to um, really kind of get to reach whatever potential I may have had. And I think like most athletes, I'm probably some potential that was still left on the table. So Peter, you, you spent most of your career uh, playing defense, right? You know, not getting into the cognitive aspects so much just yet. What are the differences in what a defenseman has to do versus somebody who's constantly pushing the puck or his main objective is to score goals um, just from that perspective, what what do those hockey players have to do differently? 
it's a fluid dynamic sport, so there's always a lot going on. When you're playing D, the game comes at you a lot. You can be a little more patient with it. You don't always have to, like you said, kind of push the pace, push the play. You don't have to be as creative. But what you do have to be good at is, uh, like, I mean, we won't dig in too deep to the, but pattern recognition is something that's pretty important. Being able to read uh, the rush coming at you and on D, all of your mistakes are very obvious. Um, it's a little bit like baseball. Like for forwards, their failure rate is going to be higher, but a, fa- a failure rate has to be very low on the defensive side. Otherwise, uh, coaches have to trust you. They have to be able to know that put you out there where you can handle uh, those types of situations and be able to get the puck out of your own zone. Like that's the big one is when we go back for pucks, you have to be able to make the first pass. You have to be able to make sure it gets out of the zone at least. Um, failed clears both on the power play and five on five are, they generally end up in chances, if not goals a lot of the time. So just those types of things, those types of reads are kind of the generally speaking, what, uh, what do you have to manage most? So obviously I'm not a hockey guru or don't have a hockey background. I've been to a couple NHL games. I actually took my youngest uh, and we sat on, on the, on the glass. That is the fastest moving game I've ever seen in my life. Do you, do you watch other pro sports and you're like, man, this is just, this is slow. This is like easy to watch. (laughs) I mean, is it, is it, or is it just my perception because I didn't grow up playing hockey that it is just so lightning quick. Uh, to keep track of where the puck is and where everybody else is. It it just seems on a different level than other sports. I think that that's probably partially true. I'm a little biased, but um, I played other sports growing up. Hockey is faster uh, in that sense. But I mean, you look at baseball, like I played baseball through high school and I was, I was okay, but like, it's hard to hit a baseball. Like it's really hard. So it, I said, yeah, I, I think I think hockey is uh, it's a unique blend of a lot of different things. It's almost like three sports in one. So it kind of seems like it's it's chaotic and it's fast. So if you don't like I generally tell people if you've if you've never seen a hockey game, go sit close. And what you'll no- notice is that after they've sat, sat on the glass to appreciate the speed, they start to move up so they can kind of see better. Whereas the, you can see the play develop differently and things like that. So it's. I love the pace of it and I love the, uh, the brutality of it sometimes. Like that's, that's part of it. It's, I, I hope that part doesn't leave the game. I'm not saying that there have to be fights every game, but there's inherent danger in it. And I think that was, that was, was fun for me. Like I, I just, I enjoy that having that aspect of it. And I think to your point, it is very fast. I think it's a, to get a good appreciation for it. You should sit by the glass once, but you know, I, I I watch some of these NFLers run, and I'm like, oh my god, like I can't I can't run at that speed, and I can only imagine what it'd be like if someone weighing 270 pounds, that's a car accident. So I, I just it's I think every sport has different things, but it's uh, I think the speed is very high in hockey, just relatively speaking. We've kind of joked about this. You take the fastest elements of basketball, and you take the fastest elements of, of soccer and the 360 degree awareness and kind of the brutality of football and the speed with which something is moving in space of baseball, pretty much got hockey. Yeah, <laughs> probably why the S2 scores are going to be interesting, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Just yeah. <back> <laughs> 
no, yeah, that's right. No, I mean, no doubt a hitter in the batter's box with sub 400 milliseconds to process and make decisions. But, you know, if that hitter was moving and trying to avoid being smashed by a, a hockey player while trying to hit that, I mean, that, that's, that's capturing an element of what it is in, in hockey. It's, uh, it's arguably, yeah. It's a fun and sport. The cognitive, the cognitive demands are, are undoubtedly pretty unique. They're very high. I've, uh, and again, I don't, I'm not an expert in a lot of fields, but I think that hockey is a full test of the human system. It tests anaerobic, anaerobic systems, tests strength, it tests cognition, it tests will. Like it, it kind of gets everything. And not that other sports don't test those things, but it's just a, it's a complete test of the human being, uh, with maybe the exception of long distance running. But you still have to have an aerobic capacity to come back in an anaerobic state over and over and over again. So it's, uh, it's just, it's, I, I, I think it has everything for me, but, uh, obviously I'm biased. So, yeah. So it's interesting that you say that Peter, because I did my, uh, I did my postgraduate training in Boston. Um, and my mentor always told me the the easiest and quickest neurologic exam you could do to see if all cranial nerves are intact is have somebody go ice skating. Um, and you can, that, that's just the quickest neurologic exam you can do right there. <laughs> so it's just a test getting up on skates. Like, I guess I'm doing all right. Then. <laughs> then, then I'm questioning my own neurological integrity. Goodness. Yeah, but you know it's it's fine motor, it's gross motor, it's balance, right? Like it's everything. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's fun. So anyone who's out there listening and doesn't doesn't know much about hockey, go go to a game and sit close to it before you watch it on TV. It's going to be hard to follow on TV. Peter, you've kind of alluded to it, right? In your own personal experience, there were elements of your game that gave you an advantage that catapulted you into uh, the highest level. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the idea of cognition and understanding that everyone's wired a little bit differently. Everyone sees processes. Some have big advantages. Some may be at a little bit of a disadvantage, even though they might have all the physical tools. How do you see the role of cognition? Uh, in, in the evolution of hockey and trying to help athletes, understand athletes, prepare them better. It's always been appreciated, I would imagine, but there's, there's certainly an evolution to our thinking about cognition and hockey. Talk to us about your experience now that you're on the coaching and valuation side. Yeah, I guess uh, from when I was a player, especially when you're young, you could hear as you got into locker rooms, you can hear players and coaches, oh, this guy's a smart player, this guy's a dumb player. Like that's, I, I'd imagine by comparison, the Neanderthal age, but uh, it's, it just means that the guy doesn't read the game well for whatever reason. And so part of what I could do, I, I would assume that some pattern recognition comes into it, but I could see the whole ice, and I think we've talked about this before, tracking capacity is big, uh, I know for quarterbacks, but it's similar for D because you have to be able to track multiple things at once, and then you have to make quick decisions, and it, it just, at the top end of the sport, usually the biggest difference is who processes the game fastest, who can anticipate. At lower levels, you can kind of get away with being a, a physical freak. Uh, it's just really hard to... Like 
there are no dumb hockey players at the top end. Like it's impossible to be like neurologically speaking, I guess that in air quotes, it's difficult to be cognitively uh, deficient in multiple areas at the highest level. Um, you can get away with just high skill and uh, physical giftedness um, to a certain extent, but it's just the difference between the best and the rest is that, right? It's cognition. For, and it's, it's that way at every level to different extents, but like once you get to the top, everyone's skilled, everyone's strong, everyone's fast. The difference is who can think the game better, who can see one step ahead, who can read, who can process. And then, I mean, you guys know, after talking to you guys, you can see that splits into a bunch of different cognitive abilities as well. And you can get away with maybe a couple low ones there, but not many, right? So it's, I think we're doing a better job writ large at figuring out or at least asking better questions on why this guy is better than this guy or what does this player need to work on? So from a coaching perspective, for me, it's helpful to kind of dial in exactly what the issue is rather than having to watch 15 games and talk to him for four and a half hours and go over like it just, it's, it's a time saver, I think. And players appreciate that because we're all, we're all up against the clock. Your career's up against the clock as a player every day. So the sooner they can get targeted work done on weak areas or even use strengths better, um, that is helpful for everyone. So Peter, you know, you're on the player development side, right? You're, you're the main uh, player development guy at the hurricanes and, and clearly you also play a role in the scouting uh, aspect of things. Um, you know, I mean, we've spent a few months now digging in and trying to understand this. How do you feel like now that you're kind of have thought through and, and we've had dialogue about cognition and hockey, how do you think if at all, it has changed the way you view the game, the way you view player development or the way you view evaluating an athlete. Uh, do you feel like it's given you, I don't know, maybe an additional lens or something that you see the game differently now? I think it's helpful in that it, it helps label things a little bit better uh, for me. Like I can start to, you can start to see patterns of, it's kind of bringing some discombobulated thoughts or disorganized thoughts together under a more focused uh, view. And it's a little clearer now sometimes. And so you can start to see, oh, these players are all kind of similar and, or maybe they have similar strengths or similar deficiencies. I think that those types of things are helpful from a scouting standpoint. Um, it, it also helps talk to players for me, like, if you know how to bring up things or you can pinpoint something that they feel, then you get immediate buy-in, right? Like that's the kind of thing for me where if you can really kind of dial in and they feel like they know you or you know them more importantly, then I, I think that part is really, really big. And for me, it's the the more detailed the categories can be, the easier it becomes to to talk about things with guys and help them improve those areas. And I think that uh, you guys know it, it, the stuff is, the tests are segmented and they're different abilities, but they all work in tandem and at the same time. And so the only way we can really talk about them is to separate them out, talk about them and then kind of try to bring them back into a whole. So I think that's, you guys do a very good job of breaking things down, but 
bringing them back into a hole where that's the only way it operates. But you do a good job of helping, or you've done a good job of helping me see that and be able to talk to people about it. But it, it it's so hard. It, it, I think creating a language is important. And we have hockey's got kind of a an odd overall language where everyone uses the same different terms to mean the same thing. So communication can sometimes be, uh, or there's fertile ground for miscommunication, I think is probably a better way to put it. Um, that may be true in other sports as well, but I think creating a language around this kind of stuff. And most, since most of this is scientific, we don't need uh, colloquialisms. So you can kind of put it, a hard name on it and people know what you're talking about. And I think that's been really helpful for me because now the scouting group can, it's tracking capacity is low. We know where this shows up in the games. Uh, is he going to be able to adapt? Does he have the capacity to adapt to the next level? We'll see, right? Like some of that is, it's just helpful to be able to talk about the stuff differently. Yeah, you had talked about that a lot where the communication lens had been different. And so I was going to hopefully have a follow-up question about the communication internally when talking about a specific player. What's the difference in clearing up the efficient communication with the language with a player that you're trying to help develop and having a clear resource to say, look, this is kind of where we've bucketed it. How can we then uh, effectively communicate to that player? Do, do you have an example of, of something that you've seen to help you in that process? We haven't done a ton of it yet. That's that's part of it. We're still in the beginning uh, stages. So a lot of it is just kind of internal talk with staff. Um, but talking to players that have taken the test, um, you can talk, you can sell them, where does this test show up? And it shows up here and here. So high score here is fairly evident because this is not an issue for you, right? Like, so that's, I think the, the language is pretty intuitive too, which is which is good. Rather than you can over uh, complicate language if it sounds too sterile, but tracking capacity is pretty easy because tracking capacity, search efficiency, it it, it all makes sense. And I, I think guys get it. And if you can label it, then it's easier for them to be. Like, yep, okay, I know where that is. I know where that like this is, and it's. It's just it's been more helpful for the guys that have taken the test because then we can talk about it and then I can just tell them where it shows up. Um, I think I've been on one call with Scott with a player. He's not one of ours, but that's where you can kind of explain it. Scott does the, a really good job of breaking down something that's pretty scientific into something that's understandable. And then I can serve as the bridge between understandable and game. And that, that kind of stuff is going to be very helpful in the future because, you know, some of these guys like, your eyes glaze over, right? Like it's, it's neuros, it's brain surgery. And that's, it's not for everyone. So I, I'm a, at least a few steps removed from you guys. So I can hopefully at least hear you guys and understand it. But I think being able to bridge it over to something that is tangible to them and they have a, a deep experience with is, uh, is helpful. One thing I heard you say in a past conversation, Peter, was that, you know, there's a, you know, every athlete has their vulnerabilities. They have certain kinds of inconsistencies in some aspect of their decision making. They make they're making some mental mistakes, and you know, you the old school thinking was, "Hey, stop doing that." Well, I would if I knew how to stop. You know, and, and so, you know, one of the thing that that really resonates with athletes that we uh, have an opportunity to sit down and talk with and coaches is just being able. These things happen so fast. It's hard to know why. It's hard to know why I keep doing what I'm doing. I keep 
biting on this or, or making this decision. And so having a little bit of an understanding for the source at least helps the athlete understand, hey, okay, there's something here that gives me hope I can start thinking differently about or working on or developing. And for a coach, you don't have to bang your head against the wall and you can start, you know, maybe approaching the interaction and the development a little bit differently. Uh, have you had any of those experiences where it kind of just, there was a little bit of a relief that, hey, okay, now we understand this and, and, and we can do something about it or start thinking about how to do something about it. <laughs> it, it can be frustrating as a coach, right? Like, cause you feel like your job is to help them. And when they're not getting better, it's hard not to take that personally. I think when coaches lash out at players, uh, it's generally a sense of frustration with themselves a lot of the time. I'm not going to excuse every player, but I, I think the coaches, most of them generally, genuinely just want to help them get better and they feel like they're failing sometimes. So being able to put a finer point on, well, how do you keep doing this wrong? Just stop doing it wrong. It's like, well, okay, do you think that the kid's not trying? Yeah. Like, they want to make this mistake? Yeah, and that, and that's, it, it's hard, like, because, we, we have limits to our knowledge, right? Like, and so we can't look inside somebody's brain. I mean, this just, we can't, we don't. And we've talked about this before. Some guys, they think they remember something like the, your memory is sometimes creative where they fills in gaps and makes stuff up. Like I, I remember that as a player, like I would come back to the bench and I wouldn't even remember some things. Oh, do you remember? I was over there. I was like, no, I actually don't. I don't remember at all. Like, I'm sorry. Like, we'll, we'll talk about it over video tomorrow, but I just, some guys just have it and some guys don't. And like, I feel bad, but it's like, what do you want me to do about it? Like, I don't remember. And that's where it's, it's good to be able to talk about these things. And with the aid of video and the aid of the information we're gleaning from the testing, we can then kind of dissect these things like, okay, well, maybe... Sometimes it's as simple as you're not looking in the right place. That is more of a mechanical problem than a processing problem. But if it's a processing problem, well, it's then okay, you got to make adaptations. Well, maybe give yourself a little more room on these types of things or look one more time. Or when you're looking, make it a half second longer just to ascertain that kind of stuff. And I think the information we can get from the testing allows us to say those things with more confidence and then you see results because, okay, they're not making the same amount of those errors. And again, there are limits to their cognition. So some guys just may not be able to do it at any speed. And that's also useful information in a game where you're, you, you have to get, you want to win, you got to get guys that can do it. But more often than not, you can use it as a developmental tool where you can isolate those areas where they're struggling and get faster uh faster results and improvement deep playoff run this year uh what, what was that experience like man it's always fun i that's that's the that's the fun time of year i remember my my dad used to tell me about uh, i think it was a bill russell quote he goes uh, you guys pay me to practice I, I play the games for free and i feel like that's that's the way guys view playoffs like that's the fun time that's the time that matters because you're chasing the cup and that's it was a, it's always a fun ride. Uh, obviously it was shorter than we would have wanted it to be, but it's, there's nothing like playoff hockey. Um, I mean, I, I told you guys this story, but I'll tell it again. Uh, 
our, my first full year pro, we were in, I was in LA and uh, we made it to the playoffs. And I remember like about, I don't know, it might've been in between the first and second period. I came to the realization. I thought, I was wondering if everyone else was going 80% during the year. And I was just giving my hundred percent because I was, it was just so much faster. Everyone's all over you and nobody like the four check is much harder. Nobody's kind of going half ass and nobody misses an opportunity to hit someone. It's just, it's different. And you can see the pace is different on TV, but it's different live and it's, it's harder on your body. So what these guys are going through and what they went through, it's, uh, again, I know I'm biased, but it's the hardest trophy to win. And it's just because the playoffs are so, the season's so long, the playoffs are so long. It's just a mental and physical grind. And if you, it's really, you, you have to survive. And it's, it's just so fun to watch because guys are giving, like, they're putting their face in front of pucks. They're trying to kill each other. It's, it, it's hard. It's hard to, it's hard to get that kind of action other places. Obviously NFL uh, playoffs are, are crazy, but, um, it's just, it's a very, it's, it's really, really hard. And it's been, it's just fun to watch for me. Even the security guards elevate their game. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't tell, <laughs> I didn't tell Scott and Harrison this story, but I walked into the hurricanes facility on the morning that they were having, like, I don't know, it was like game three or something at the, <laughs> at the stadium. And Peter forgot his badge. And this 75-year-old guy was going to pin us up against the wall for trying to sneak in. I mean, he was I mean, he was like, hey, man, this is the NHL playoffs. And Peter was like, yeah, I know. I work here. <laughs> I was going to say, man, some of these sw really sweet findings so far that we've seen in, in, in hockey players are their ability to control their impulses and improvise. I would love to hear conceptually how that makes sense to you and say, yeah, of course, hockey players do this. I'd love to hear your reasoning as to, you know, how that shows up and why you think that is. But a little bit of backdrop is that they do this better than other pro athletes, not That's just right. their That's goodness. Right. They're better than pro than NFL players, major league baseball players or something to that. I would imagine a lot of it has to do with the speed of the game, uh, if you bite on a fake, so I, I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but something like every, every second is like six feet or something. I mean, I think it may be less than that. So if you shift your weight to one foot, I think it takes you about a half second to get it back, which is ends up being like three or four feet. So even those little movements can turn into a huge disadvantage at those speeds. So my guess is, is that's that's why the impulse control uh, has to be pretty high. The dis or uh, the improvisation is it the game always goes like it's in it's there's a little bit of an element of chaos probably probably more so than in other sports because the puck is in odd shape. It's on a smooth uncertain surface. Guys have sticks. It's just I think you have to be able to adapt quickly to changing environments and you know, you're going to get beat every once in a while. So it's okay. What do you do once you get beat or what happens if there's a breakdown, your guy falls down. Okay. Now it's, we just went from an easy situation to a very difficult one. And you just, you have to be prepared. And thankfully you only have to play 40 seconds at a time and then you get a quick break, but you have to be on alert for all 40 seconds. Rarely do you get a break and it's, it's kind of funny when you see something that's not supposed to happen. Most guys know like the puck's going there, there, there. You can kind of read and be one step ahead. 
it's when there's an odd bounce or something that happens that shouldn't, everybody wakes up, right? And you can see it. And so <laughs> that, that would be my guess where it, that's where improvisation probably comes in. And even for forwards, like maybe they make a move and it like ticks his skate on the way by, but he's still able to grab it and try something else. It's uh, there's a lot of that that goes on, like trying to tip pucks while somebody's on top of you. So I, it's a, it's a very adaptive sport. So I'd imagine improvisation would, you, you're probably already good at it by the time you get there and then the environment may help improve it as well you've been assessed in so many different kinds of ways throughout your career, right? Understanding how your brain processes on ice decisions. How important is that for aspiring hockey players to understand about themselves when they go through this process? Well, it's huge. I mean, being able to know why, especially at the youth level, like let's be honest, a lot of the coaches are volunteers. So you're not going to get the level of detail and customization per player from your coach. Like they don't have time for it. So it's not nothing against them. They're volunteering their time. They're there to help and they're doing everything they possibly can. But having this information as an individual will also help you process the information the coaches are able to give you. Where if they're saying this about you and it tracks with the numbers you're getting, okay, well, that's great. Maybe you can go ask the coach, can we do more of these types of situations in practice? And, you know, depending on the coach, maybe they'll give it to you, maybe they won't, but I think being able to understand your strengths and weaknesses is always a good thing. And I don't, I don't, uh, uh, maybe there are younger players that, uh, that don't like that. I generally, my suspicion is, is that everybody that makes it to a high level wants to know what's wrong with them, uh, more than what's right with them. Uh, that was generally, I, all the guys I played with were that way. There's, there's also a trend towards a lot of skill-based stuff in hockey and, it's a unique sport where you have to learn how to skate. It's, it would be like football players having to learn how to run. And it's, we take for granted that the mode of transportation is the same mode you do in everything, but in hockey, it's different. So there are certain skills and mechanics you have to learn from skating, and then you have to learn puck handling, you have to learn shooting. So there's a lot of different skill sets. So I understand why everyone's uh, focusing on that, and it is something you have to do. But we know the difference is... Like you can be slow of foot and have a fast mind and make up the difference. So maybe I think the needle or the pendulum has swung a little too far towards the skill and not, uh, not enough towards um, how you're thinking the game. And I, like we, we play a lot of, there's another thing that gets said a lot is let the game be the teacher. And I, I understand the thought process behind it. I just don't agree with it. Um, it's great to, if kids are going to go out and play by themselves, it's a great teacher because they'll learn how to manage them, self-manage and deal with those types of things. But it's a coach's job to understand where these kids are struggling and change the game so that it focuses on the things they need. So it's really just about manipulating the constraints of the environment so it, you can load directly on weaknesses or strengths or whatever it is we, we're deciding to work on. But that part of the game is incredibly important, and I think we probably should do a little bit more. We don't need to neglect skill, but the, the, I think the balance is maybe a little off. Getting tested for this kind of stuff is really important because you can then target your the part of practice I think we need to spend more time on. on just building off of that, Peter, take away the cognitive piece. Um, sports has advanced so much in the last 10 or 15 years from like the 
you know, world records on the track because of track technology and spike technology and baseball. You saw the home run, the era of the home run, and then you saw the era of the pitcher. What, what do you see in, in hockey? How has hockey changed in your view in the last decade or so? Uh, you grew up with the sport. How is it, you know, how is it different now than it used to be? It's pretty funny you bring this up. I was actually talking to one of our players about this today. Um, probably a couple of years after I retired, there was a noticeable change in the speed of the game uh, and it got faster. And I think some of it is that the younger kids coming up had spent more time working on their skill sets. Like I just talked about maybe bending it more towards that, but they still need to be able to think the game. And some of them, they need a longer runway to learn that stuff because they've maybe spent more time at it. But, Man, like you look at Connor McDavid, he moves. He his feet and his hands are incredibly fast, but what's scary is that his brain is probably faster. I, I've I've never seen a combination of those three things being able to all keep up with one another. And there's a lot of guys, and there's only one Connor McDavid, but there are a lot of guys that are like that, where the, the pace of the game is much faster. Some of it is because. Uh, we don't have huge guys anymore that are just kind of clogging up the ice. They changed the rules to help it. But some of that stuff was done before I was even in the league. And now it's just, I, I think that it's, the game is much faster. Like it's just, everything is faster, which means the margin for error is smaller. And everyone's looking for that 1% somewhere here or there. And I, I imagine that's what's happening in other sports, right? Like it's, they're just optimizing everything. I'm sure they have analytics and measurements, being able to objectify certain things that maybe in the past we weren't able to. Um, technology obviously helps with a lot of that, but we're learning more because we're, we're trying to learn more and we're being, a, now we can apply more. And so the coaching's better and the technique is better. So we're just, the the marginal gains increased a lot and now it's going to be interesting to see what's what's left right like the brain is the is the last frontier really that we haven't dialed in because i think it's a phys, as far as physical stuff goes we know quite a lot is my understanding i'm not going to pretend like we know everything but we know a lot and the game of hockey isn't going to change unless they change the rules. So we understand the tactical parts of it. It's just the speed at which you do it is going to change based on how good your skills are and how quickly you think. And it's, that's the game at this point. And it's got to be daunting for younger players, to be honest with you, because there's so many buckets now knowing so much is almost, it can almost lead to paralysis where, Oh, you got a strength coach and you have a mental performance coach and we have a cognitive test and we have a skating coach. It all matters though. Like that's the thing. Like, so in development for me, it all matters. The question is how do you get it to someone? Like it's a lot to put on someone. And I, it wasn't that way when I was playing. <laughs> so I, I, I'm empathetic toward sympathetic towards these players. Cause it's, it's a job. And I'm very leery of what it does at the youth level because you don't want it to be a job. It's still a game. And you learn more off the ice than you do on the ice. You learn the discipline. Like that kind of stuff at the youth level is really what's important. But 
it's a, it's a brave new world out there. We hear this in other sports too, right? And the speed of the game is getting faster. You know, pitchers are throwing harder. What does speed do? It reduces the amount of time you have to make decisions. So it almost, the faster the game gets, the more the demands on your cognition and your thinking. And so they, they're going to have to go in parallel. So it's kind of interesting. And, you know, that's, that's been kind of a big point of emphasis for us is getting these younger athletes. Obviously, you got to work on the technical skill and the physical development. But there's things you can do when your brain is younger and more malleable and your sideburns aren't gray yet that can enhance and promote and push the development of decision making to prepare you for that faster game. I tell parents because some parents, you know, parents of younger players, they'll ask what should you be doing in the summer. And I generally tell them to play other sports. Um, I think hockey lends itself uh, because it. It tests so many parts of your cognition and, and your uh, physical literacy. Being able to do other things actually can transfer over a little bit, I think. Um, it's also a good break because hockey's repetitive. Um, it, it's a good break mentally too, but I, I think that I think some of our Finnish guys, they play racket sports in the summer a lot. Just good hand-eye, that kind of stuff is really good for them. But as kids especially, they should diversify it. And I, I know it's hard because <laughs> if everybody else is doing it, feel you feel like you're falling behind. It's just it's again it, it it's hard. It, it it's just harder. Youth sports is harder than it used to be. Um, but you're right. It, as the game gets faster, you have less time. Like that's that's the differentiator at the top end. So whether it's being able to react quicker or being able to see the pattern faster, whatever it is, you got to find an edge somewhere in that area and exploit it the most the, to the best of your ability. Peter, wonderful bow on that. I know it was a great description. Uh, before we finish here, we've got our three random and funny questions we're going to get into. So uh, do, you, do you think you're ready? I, I will find out one way or the other here. Huh? We will. So first one I got for you is the sweetest in-person move on the ice you ever saw someone make. Uh, what was it? Where was it? What game was it? Take me back. Unfortunately, the one that popped into my mind uh, made it onto Sports Center, and I was on the wrong end of it. Uh, Bobby Ryan <laughs> came down the. Uh, so I think he's a righty. I can't remember. He came down. I was on the right side. He came down, started to cut into the middle, and I kind of turned my body into the middle a little bit. And then he did a spinorama around me, and my improvisation wasn't good enough to make up for it. <laughs> and he went in and tucked it in. I think it was a Sports Center top 10. Got a few text messages. Hey, man, I saw you on Sports Center. <laughs> great, great stuff. But yeah, appreciate yeah, that, it. That was the one that popped into my mind first, unfortunately. What's the funniest text you've ever sent to someone by mistake? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, geez. That's a good one. Thankfully, it hasn't been anything too terrible. Um, I, I think I sent like, uh, really looking forward to seeing you tonight. I love you. And I like, it was, <laughs> it was still like one of my buddies that I, I hadn't seen in a while or something like that. And it was just like, mm, I don't think this was meant for me. Kind of thing. <laughs> it wasn't too explicit, thankfully. But it was uh, it was embarrassing. That's for sure. Man, I sent one of those. It was real juicy to the chair of neurosurgery at Vanderbilt one time. I accidentally intended for my wife. He 
responded back. No, no, no. It wasn't the chair. He's the chair it now. Okay. No, it was Nima. Joseph <laughs> Nima, the neurosurgeon, the functional neuro neurosurgeon. And he went back and he goes, I didn't know you had feelings like that for me. They <laughs> <laughs> rolled with it, but it was, uh, yes. <laughs> not safe for work text. So, okay. Last question, Peter. What pile in sports is the worst to be at the bottom of? An American football pile or a hockey scrum pile? I, I, it's got to be uh, American football, but I don't, the pile after winning a championship's no treat either. Like if you're at the bottom, I, we won. Uh, we won the Bean Pot one year. Uh, we beat BU. Deal with that, Brandon. Uh, <laughs> but there were. I was at the bottom of it, and it was like it was claustrophobic. So I can only imagine what it's like when you've got eight guys that all weigh three hundred pounds, and they're probably not, you know, hugging each other. I, I don't want to know uh, too much. I don't want to be at the bottom of that pile. So I'll, we'll give that one to American football. I think. In fairness, I was at BU for academic reasons, not athletic reasons. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> I just know you went there somehow, so I had to jack it. Well, Peter, thanks so much for joining us today, man. Really appreciate you ha- you being on and having fun with us. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the S2 Cognition podcast. How awesome was it getting to hear Peter talk through processing information at rapid speeds while on the ice? If you like the content we're putting out, please subscribe with that plus sign at the top of your app, leave a review about the episode, and share it with a friend. You can follow us on Twitter at S2 Cognition and Instagram at S2.Cognition. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, please visit our website at S2Cognition.com slash podcast. Thanks again for listening to the S2 Cognition podcast. I'm your host, Harrison Hunter signing off for now. Talk to you on our next episode.